to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Dr. Hal Urban is the author of eight books, all with an emphasis on good character. His first book, Life's Greatest Lessons, was selected by Writer's Digest as the inspirational book of the year. Since 1992, Dr. Urban has traveled to more than 2 million miles while speaking nationally and internationally on positive character traits and the relationship to the quality of life. He has made more than 1,000 presentations in 43 states, Washington, D.C., and eight foreign countries. Hal has a genuine love of life that includes several passions. Chief among them are his three Fs, family, faith, and friends. His other main interests and activities are reading, sports, travel, photography, and lifelong learning. You'll even find him as early as 5 a.m. in the gym daily, staying active and fit. How welcome to Momnificent. Good to be with you, Karen. So how I love how you, when you were a teacher, you would give a question to the parents of your students to rate their child, whether they had low, medium, or high motivation. What if a parent rated their child as low, motiva- low motivation, or maybe a listener is deals with that with their own child? What would you say to them? Well, you know, that was just one of many questions that I asked the, the parents at the beginning of the year. And the main reason I asked it is because I wanted the, the student and the parents to talk about it, about motivation level, because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what motivation is. You know, in my very first book, I... I have a chapter that says real motivation comes from within. It doesn't come from a motivational speaker. It doesn't come from somebody going rah, 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 and all that type of thing. That type of motivation will last for maybe a coach might get his team all fired up and it might last for, for that game. But, but real motivation is, is something that you feel uh, inside. But basically I just, I just wanted them to talk to each other and to, to, see how the parents perceive the motivation of the student as opposed to how the student saw his or her own motivation. But there was, those were usually the same. The, whatever the parents were observing in the student, the student pretty much agreed that's my motivation level. But I, you know, I had uh, parents over the years say that I really motivated their, their kid. And I, I would say, no, I really I really didn't. I said I may I may have made the subject more interesting or made your student realize he or she could succeed. But anyway, people have different concepts of, of what motivation is. Yeah. And I'm sure you inspired them. Well, that's that is a different, and I hope I did inspire them. Yeah. You know, if you if you in teaching, if you treat students like they're important. You know, I, I was taught early on, if you can reach them, you can teach them. If you can connect with them, if they know you care about them uh, and you're not boring, they'll let you teach them. 
Yeah. Uh, don't don't be boring. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to pay attention long with that. So how maybe talk our th- listeners through how your 12 great and best lessons in life came to be, that book that you wrote. Oh, uh, you know, originally it was called um, 20 Things I Want My Kids to Know. And I had been teaching for about 25 years. And I had always read myself uh, what I call personal growth books. Uh, I know the book industry calls them self-help. I don't like that term. It's it's an oxymoron. It's uh, anyway, uh, but I read books that that were about personal development. And I always thought that we should be teaching some of those things in school. I thought we did a good job teaching academic subjects, but we didn't teach them about life itself. And so I uh, wrote this book and it got published. And this is before the days of email, uh, about 30 years ago. And I started getting letters, especially from business people. One of them was an executive at Microsoft when Microsoft was a pretty um, new company. And, and the letters basically said they loved the book. They were buying it for new employees, but it wasn't just for kids. It was for, it was for everybody. So after it really picked up in sales, then um, uh, Simon & Schuster, my publisher, asked me about taking kids off the off the title, changing the title. And the subtitle of the book originally was Passing on Life's Greatest Lessons. And so we just changed the title to Life's Greatest Lessons and 20 Things That Matter. But those were, it's dedicated to my three sons. Those are things I wanted them to, to know about life. And, and then it could be accessible to other people. And I'm, I'm still to this day, 30 years later, I'm still surprised at the success of that of the book, you know, it was my, my first venture and it sold about half a million now. And it's still, I still get royalty checks from the publisher. So I know it's still selling. Oh, so I love any parent would love to hear like, okay, so what are those top lessons that I could be working with my child on and learning? And so in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, maybe that's a great book study I can do with my parents and teachers. Um, because we did that with Michelle Borba's book, Thrivers, and it was such a success, and parents loved it. And the teachers were like, can you run this book club again? I was like, this is so exciting. Um, So I'll have to add that one to my docket. So you used to teach your students the three ways of communicating. Can you share with us what those are? Because I think parents might love hearing this, and and maybe it's something they can help teach their kids. Now, there's, there's different ways to answer that question, the three ways of communicating. I'm thinking of verbal and and nonverbal but but there's a, there's like the three types of words that you use is that what you mean by the question um it was in your book that um you had for for the teachers and you probably spun it more for teachers but i thought it could be a takeaway for the parents okay well one of the things i emphasize with my students about communication is the three levels of communication or when you're talking to each other three types of words, one type of word is neutral, you know, just, uh, it's just information. It's neither positive nor negative, but the other two types we could describe as positive and negative, but I use the words toxic and nourishing. Is that, is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yes. Tell me about Uh, that. Because in in my book that I wrote for teachers, one chapter says, uh, good teachers, um, uh, prevent, uh, prevent, uh, let's say, I, I can't remember the exact title of the chapter, but it has to do with 
Here you go. I yeah. think I, I think I have it. Good teachers protect the atmosphere from toxic yeah. words. Yeah, that's okay. That's right. Protect the atmosphere from from toxic words. And we 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 talked a lot at the beginning of the year about the impact that that words have. And so I let them decide what kinds of words we would not use. Those were the toxic words. And so they would give them to me. And uh, so we talked about things like put downs was always number one, because teenagers have a tendency to put each other down a lot. So put downs was number one. And then they said mean, mean things to say, which is also a put down. Um, uh, swearing, gossip, complaining, whining, those kinds of things. So we made a big list of them. And we posted them in the room and everybody agreed we won't use those when we're in your classroom. And I said, if you slip once in a while, just say, sorry, and we'll say apology accepted and move on, not make a big deal of it, you know. And then we had another list and those were nourishing words, good, good teachers use and teach about nourishing words. And I use nourishing because nourishing means to stimulate growth. Um, and uh, so those are things like, you know, friendly greetings, sharing good news, compliments, uh, thanking and, and those types of things. So we always had a really good uh, atmosphere in class because kids became aware of their, uh, of their words. There's so many people are not aware of how powerful their words can be and even how long lasting what they say can be for good or for bad, you know, on, uh, on somebody else. And Mother Teresa said, uh, kind Kind words are short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. And um, there's been all kinds of research on, you know, on, on the power of words. And I wrote a, my second book was called Positive Words, Powerful Results. Yeah. And you were and you were known as the good news guy. How did you get that title? Well, yeah, that came from from my students. You know, when I was a social studies teacher, I taught government. I taught history. I taught current world affairs, world studies. And I always thought that current events should be wrapped, you know, should be part of the, of the curriculum. And for instance, if I'm teaching American government, it, it'd be foolish to try to teach it without showing how the government is operating at different levels, federal, local, state, you know, national, so on. And uh, so I gave them a simple little homework assignment. They were to find five major news items uh, give me the headline and summarize it in two sentences. So it didn't take them very long, but they became really well informed. But one day, you know, a kid sat in class and said, yeah, you know, Dr. Urban, for, for being such a positive guy, you sure give a negative homework assignment. And I said, whoa, I said, me, negative? And, and we started talking about it. And they said, well, all, of, all the news is bad news. Now, this, they were doing all this with newspapers, but it does make any difference. It's still today, it's all bad news. And... Um, I said, well, I don't want to start class because that was what we did at the beginning of every class. I said, I don't want to start every class doing something negative. I, I said, let's let me think about this and I'll figure something out. And I thought I had a good idea, but it backfired on me. I said, turn the sheet over and write down two things you found in the newspaper that are good news. And I'll give you two points extra credit. And that became really frustrated for them because they said they spent more time looking for good news and couldn't find it. Uh, and then it just, so it bombed on me. And so I just kind of out of frustration one day, I said, okay, let's, 
let's just share our own good news and you know uh so when class started i'd say who who has good news and if there was good news individually or in the family or at school or in the community or even you know sometimes the good news was we live in san francisco giants territory and the good news was like last night they won in extra innings and so that would be yeah that the Giants won tonight, you know, or the 49ers or any of our, our local teams. And the kids really, they really got into it, you know. And uh, I still remember the first time we ever did it. A girl shared something really personal. And uh, I think it was fantastic because it brought the whole class together. She said that her mother and father had been separated for two years and they had just gotten back together. And she was sharing how happy the family was you know and I think there were a few tears in the classroom that day but it it made everybody realize you can share personal things because when you're sharing good news people like to hear it you know it it, it nourishes the atmosphere and um, so that's what what I did for the rest of my career I had a big sign up it says uh, who has good news but you know they had at the beginning of class they had three other options besides sharing good news they could share good news they could say something or someone they were thankful for. And obviously that's always positive. Um, they could say something that they admired or appreciated about one of the other students in the class, uh, or they could make us laugh. And they could make us laugh in one of, I think one of three ways. They, they could tell a joke, um, tell a story, uh, or just do something goofy that would make us laugh. As long as there was nothing dirty in it, uh, it was okay. And we, uh, we had some really good laughs in class. That's, and that's a good way to start every class. It, I had to limit it to five minutes because if I didn't, it would go on too long and we'd never get to the lesson, you know? I bet they were so excited to share over time. I'm oh, sure more and more of them would yeah, pop up. But yeah. that's, that's a great idea for parents to do when their kids get in the car from car line or when they get home from school or maybe the parent's working a long day and they finally see their child after the aftercare. Um, those are some great questions um, and activities that could just spur some great conversation um, to elicit that from your kid for the day. And even the um, one with the toxic words, they could use that at their own home and have, have the siblings sit down and come up with like, okay, what words, how do we want to really talk? What don't we want to talk? I mean, when I was growing up, my sister and I argued and fought all the time. And my mom would make us read something that said like, we would be kind, we would be nice. We, like, I remember standing there and read, she would force us to read it, you know, but eventually you know, she's drilling into our heads like, this is the way we're going to treat each other. So here's a little twist. If a parent called saying their child didn't want to go to school and maybe it had to do with something going on in the classroom with how the child felt about the teacher, what guidance would you give that parent? You know, that, that's a, one of the reasons that's, uh, I looked at your questions and that's the most difficult one to answer because it's such an individual thing. What applies to one family or one student does, there's not a general answer, you know, to, it's an individual thing. You really have to sit down first with the child, the student, and get more information as to what the what the problem is. If if there was some real conflict with the teacher, then if I was the parent, then I would um, not in an accusatory way, but in an informational way, get in touch with the teacher and just try to find out from the teacher's perspective what it is that's going on and explain to him or her 
what the kid is going through and do you think there's any way that the two of you could talk and 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 solve it because sometimes there really is such a thing as a personality conflict maybe the teacher said something one day that the student misinterpreted and was offended by it. You, you just never know uh you know about all of those situations but i've always been a firm believer in talking things out and and just finding out what each person is feeling and what they're what they're perceiving because sometimes what we perceive is not necessarily you know the truth yeah and sometimes we don't we don't notice what someone else is perceiving the very thing you're doing that another person sitting right next to them is perceiving it a completely different way and so i love how you say like maybe just hear from the child and also hear from the parents so you can help understand where they're coming from to then sort of problem solve a solution to help both both parties. Uh, maybe you can help me with this one. If a parent has a child who uses the phrase, or I've even heard it in class, do we have to? What word of advice can you give listeners as a response? You know, that reminds me of something that, that I did with my students all the time. Um, because I've often taught them, if you look for the good in the world and in your life that's all around you, it's, it's like somebody saying, I have to go shopping, I have to go to the grocery store. But if you've been to places where you see people that don't have grocery stores and they go out and hunt for their food and all that kind of stuff, you ought to say, I get to go shopping, you know, because you have the money and, and they have the food and you can just go, I just came home from a grocery store, you know, and um so that's that's what i always uh tell them the the they have to go to school even on on monday i have to go to school uh there are a lot of kids in the world that don't have a school to go to and they're really hurting because they don't have to go to school and you want to say i'm lucky to have a school that i that i get to uh to go to but you know it reminded me of um something I did with my students too, that I taught them not to poison the atmosphere of the classroom, as, as I mentioned. And I was what you call a handout teacher. I didn't use textbooks very much. I thought I could produce better materials of my own. And I, I did use a lot of paper, but I duplicated them and handed them out and numbered the pages and everything. And kids are conditioned by handouts. You know, especially I taught teenagers and, and kids know if you hand them a paper, they know it's going to be work, you know, something they have, they have to work, they have to read, they, they might even have to write, they might even have to think, and so on. And so I said to them, I said, look, these handouts I give you are better than the textbook. And I said, I worked really hard on them. And I don't want you to poison the atmosphere when I give them out. I start to give one to somebody and somebody goes, oh, no. And you haven't even seen the paper yet. I said, look, this is what I want you to do. Whoever gets the first paper, you take it and you go, oh, boy, this looks like it'll be a wonderful learning opportunity. You know? And they laugh when the first person says that. And I said, OK, that's what I mean. That's what I want uh, every time I hand out papers. And the kids got to the point where they wanted to be the first one to get the paper so they could say that or put a spin on it. You know, we had we had a kid one time. He was he was so clever and so funny, and he always wanted to be the first one. And I said, "Well, I have to let somebody else be the first one too." And and uh, so one day he he said, "Can I be number one?" And I I said, "Yeah, okay." So I 
I gave it to him and he didn't say anything. He just took the paper and he looked like he was really studying it for a long time. And everybody was wondering, why isn't Jason going crazy? You know, and then he looked up at me and he said, I don't know how you do it, Dr. Urban. I said, what do you mean? He says, they just keep getting better every day. <laughs> and, and so it helps to have kids with a good sense of humor. You know, the kids that I really enjoyed teaching were the drama kids, the kids that were in drama because they liked play acting and all of that. And uh, so I, I just wanted to always turn something negative into, into something uh, positive. You know, you don't have to do a lot of things. You get to do them. Yeah. So maybe when the child starts their homework, the parent can say to them, as soon as we start, we're going to say, this is going to be so exciting. But you know what? It's funny. I actually read research because I got that idea from someone at some point down the road. Like when I have a, a challenging conversation to have with a parent or when something's really tough or I have like a, a like a faculty meeting or a big something big that like is weighing on me. They, they literally said, if you stop and just say out loud, I am so excited about this, even though you're like completely terrified, in your brain, something will shift to give you energy and like the frame of mind to actually like get through it. And sometimes it's not as bad as we pre-think it would be. So that was, yeah, I love that idea. No, that's, uh, it's amazing what, uh, what some positive words at the beginning of a class or the beginning of a conversation between two people um can can do uh, michelle Geelan wrote a book called broadcasting happiness and one of the things that she mentions in the book is that she says start every conversation with something positive and i she endorsed my new book called the power of good news but i uh i sent her a copy and i said please read this one section because if she says begin the conversation positively i say you begin the positivity in the greeting, because this is what happens when two people greet each other. First person comes up, let's say it's A and B, and A comes up to B and says, hi, how are you? And B says, uh, fine, how are you? Fine, and then they walk away. What's that, fine? You know, say something clever or something funny. This is what I say when people say, uh, hey, how, good to see you, how are you? And I say, well, I was fine, but I'm much better now that I've seen you. And these are people I like, so it's really true. Every time I see somebody I like, that's good news to me. And uh, what's really funny is that men and women respond different to that. If a woman says, uh, hi, Hal, how are you? And I says, oh, I'm fine, but I'm better now that I've seen you. And they, they'll say, oh, you're so sweet, you know, and that kind of stuff. Or they'll laugh, but, but a man will say, oh, you're so full of it. You know, if, if I say that same thing, but, but I, I've been in the habit of saying that all the time. And most people, if it catches them off guard, they laugh. <laughs> I like that. All right. Here's a question from one of my parents that I received. I, here's the, here's what they wrote. I want my kids to work hard and succeed. I have high expectations for them and I don't want them to be lazy. I want them to know my expectations but either I end up very strict or I reduce my expectations. How do I have a healthy balance? Is too much structure wrong? Yeah, it is. And I think sometimes, you know, uh, <clears throat> there's so many stories about parents who are <clears throat> highly motivated and want their kids to get on a certain track and all that kind of stuff, even maybe follow them into the same profession. I, I think that's a mistake. I, I think you have to let 
uh, kids develop and find out how they're wired and what it is that they uh, that they want to do and and just have discussions about it not uh, you know you will do your homework at a certain time every day and that that type of thing but but um, yeah I, th I think uh, uh, forget what the name is of the parents who kind of just structure their kids lives by every minute that they're doing something that and I, and I think they they need more freedom. I, I was just reading something the other day, especially with younger kids and, and the, uh, it was an educator psychologist and said, uh, play is more important than homework. There are some teachers that they've given a lot of homework every night makes them a good teacher and it doesn't at all. You know, uh, I limited my, I, I mentioned the current events thing that once they learned how to do that, it took about 10 minutes and I didn't want them to spend any more time in that because they have a social life besides their school all day. And, and teenagers, a lot of them work, but, but I, don't, um, I don't think parents should, should pressure kids in terms of my expectations of your academic performance and, and so on. You know, my three kids knew that I had a bachelor's, master's, doctorate and all that. I didn't lay that on them that I expected them. I, I hope they graduate from college and go into something that they wanted to to go into, but my main concern was how they treat other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I think kids have to find their own way. And that's a skill that they're gonna need for the rest of their life. And when you ask employers these days, they, they say, you know, what's the number one skill you're looking for in people? Well, can they get along with others? Can they be flexible? Can they be like all those soft skills, kind, considerate? Yeah, you can train anybody to do anything you need them to do, but behavior? That's the hardest thing to change. And if we can instill that in our kids now, that's what they need when they're socializing and playing and arguing and learning how to get along and interact. So sometimes as a parent, it can feel daunting to go into school and meet with the teacher and talk with the teacher. What can parents do to form a good partnership with their child's teacher? You know, that, that should be the teacher's responsibility at the beginning. One of the things that I did the first part of school is that I sent a letter home and, and kind of gave them a little history of me personally, how long I taught, what I taught, my background. And I said, you are the first and most important teacher that Jimmy will ever have. And uh, I'm here to form, literally, I said, uh, form a partnership with you. I think that's one of the early chapters in my book, Teachers Form a partnership with parents and that's uh and then that way things can get reinforced but uh, uh i think the teacher has to reach out because i remember a lot of a lot of parents said no teacher had ever contacted me at the beginning of the year inviting me to a to a partnership uh, with you and i even invited them i said come and uh, observe the class anytime you want but of course their kid wouldn't like their parent in the back of the class so we didn't get too many of those but um, but again that's uh, I think that's important that, that parents and teachers uh, form a partnership yeah I think that's so valuable and I love how it's the connection before you end up having to correct you make that positive phone call home before you have to call about any other situation that's coming up that might be a little difficult to talk about so how what's what's one thing you would love our listeners to leave with today well are you asking me about 
about education or parenting or let, uh, let, let's, let's go, go for, for the parents, parents today because then, then i'm going to invite, invite you back, back to talk about, about teach. Teach. well actually that this is an answer that would apply to parents and teachers both if somebody asked me what is the primary responsibility of a teacher what is the primary responsibility of a parent is to bring out the best in your kid you know mm -hmm. to bring out the best in your student and the goodness is there. I had to learn this from other people because some kids come to school with a really bad attitude and you don't know why, you don't know what's going on in the, uh, in the background. But, um, you know, Zig Ziglar, who was a motivational speaker who, who died about five or six years ago, he had a lot of wisdom and, and he said, be a good finder. He said, if you look, he said, we find what we look for. He says, look for the good. And then um, I had a friend who was a great teacher that taught me a lot too about, he says, when you find the good, tell the kid what you found, uh, you know? And, and he would say sometimes to students, he would say, do you know what I like most about you? And it was something that he found good. And boy, that really perks up a, really perks up a student, but it does to a, a child at home also. Um, I talk to parents a lot, you know, and one of the things I tell them, the title of my talk is talking to your kids. And then I give them 10 suggestions. And uh, one of the suggestions is that you should uh, compliment them more than you correct them. But that's not necessarily true. I fell into that trap myself. Um, my dad never once told me anything I did good, but he always got me when I did something wrong. And a lot of teachers do the the same thing, you know, like at schools, they have a referral. Every time a kid gets in trouble, you refer them to the office and then the thing goes home, but we don't have a good, a good kid notice. You know, I mean, literally I made one for our school. I put it in school colors. It's called good kid notice. And I sent, sent them home myself. And I, and I, uh, I could, I could, go on for hours about things that happen as a result of me sending home a good kid notice. This is why Jimmy is a good kid and they did something particularly kind or helpful or, or whatever. And uh, I, I've had mothers call me and cry. They said, it's the first time we've ever got anything positive wow. from the school. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. And then how, can we have you back on our show to talk about your latest book, book, The Power of Good News? Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to, to talk about that. It's, it's designed to uh, lift spirits and get people to look for the good. You know, that's uh, the subtitle is feeding your mind with what's good for the heart. And uh, I know I love that. And, and how good news contributes to our well-being. It does. Yeah, there's, yes. and there's a lot of research that proves that just like. Uh, you know, my mother taught me many, many years ago that the happiest people in the world were the people who were the most thankful. And she didn't have a college degree or do any research or anything. And now they're doing all kinds of research and saying thankfulness is one of the keys to happiness. And you won't meet a more thankful person than me, man. I, I wake up every morning. I've been in the same home for 48 years, but I still thank God that I have this home. You know, I just think it was a stroke of luck that I ended up in, <laughs> in it. And so I, uh, uh, thankfulness is a big deal. 
Well, Hal, you just keep giving no matter what. You wake up every day and you keep giving. From the first call I had with you, you have inspired me and I and you've offered to come talk to our, our Parent Teacher Association and the teachers and I'm just overwhelmed and excited. And um, so how can someone find and follow you and your work? Yeah, well, you know, there's one thing I remember registered in my mind many years ago. I read this thing that says life is in three phases. First phase is learn. Second phase is earn, that means a career. And third phase is return. Return what you've learned to others. Uh, if you did earn a lot of money, then return that to good causes. And I'm in the return phase. And it's, it's been really nice, to tell you the truth. I've, I've, really, uh, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, partly, uh, but you have to do the right things in the first two phases in order to make the return phase of your life a good one. And, uh, and it has some good guidance and good help along the way. Yeah. Well, I'll add the link to your website and the titles of your books in the description notes of this episode. And Hal, thank you so much. And until next time, I can't wait to see you again soon. Thanks okay, again. Good. Yeah, always good to be with you and be happy to do this again because you have so much energy. See, it, it uh, comes to me, just like my students used to energize me. So you, you have a way of energizing people too. That's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment anytime.